good to be back at the Council on Foreign Relations. As uh, Pete mentioned, I've been a member for a long time and was actually a director for some period of time. I never mentioned that when I was campaigning for re-election back home in Wyoming. <laughs> Thank you very much, um, Richard, and I am delighted to be here in these new headquarters. Um, I have been often to, uh, I guess, the mothership in New York City, uh, but it's good to have an outpost of the council right here down the street from the State Department. Uh, we get a lot of advice from the council, so this will mean I won't have as far to go to uh, be told uh, what we should be doing and uh, how uh, we should uh, think about the future. Born from the ashes of war-ravaged Europe following the Great War, the idea for the RIIA was forged at an informal session during the 1919 Paris Peace Conference. The Institute was formalized the next year, first as the British Institute of International Affairs, and then, after receiving its royal charter, as the Royal Institute of International Affairs. The group became synonymous with Chatham House, its headquarters in St. James's Square in London and is widely recognized among foreign policy experts as the most influential think tank in the world. Chatham House works across these three areas, in international economics, in energy, environment and resource governance, and in regional and security studies. We publish reports, we publish papers, we hold discussions and conferences, and we discuss our ideas with policymakers from around the world. Funded by partners, patrons, and corporate members that read like a who's who of the Fortune 500, including Chevron, AIG, Bloomberg, Toshiba, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Lockheed Martin, Royal Dutch Shell, the European Commission, and dozens of other corporations, institutions, and foreign governments, Chatham House consistently attracts some of the best-known speakers on a wide range of topics, releasing reports that set the global policy agenda, not only for Britain, but for much of the rest of the developed world as well. We have further challenging issues to address between now and 2015, including how to take account of countries common but differentiated responsibilities for tackling climate change. By moving towards a spectrum of commitments that reflects the economic realities of the 21st century. The current binary divide between developing and developed countries was defined in 1990, and I believe it's time to move on from it. Uh, the role of policymakers is actually to try to manage this transition and to understand that we are living through a very different time and I stress and this time is really different from other periods in recent history where we discussed the reform of the monetary system. So managing a transition means more policy cooperation. Militaries around the world aspire to our standards and the ability of our forces to work together. Importantly, we can integrate other nations contributions into complex multinational operations like no other organization. Welcome, everybody, to NWCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. I'm Big D, and I will be your friend and guide for the next, mm, uh, probably an hour, 
we'll see see how this rolls got an important topic for you today in fact i want to start off by reading a quote a lot of you are familiar with hg wells well he wrote a book 1928 called the open conspiracy blueprints for a world revolution and he wrote that in the 20th century the world entered a dangerous phase of development which could end in catastrophe and even destruction of mankind. The only way to prevent a catastrophe, Wells says, is the elimination of sovereign states, the creation of a one-world government headed by a small group of people, representatives of the intellectual elite, and big business. That brings us to our topic today, which is the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Uh, we've talked about Council on Foreign Relations. Well, this Royal Institute, we'll just call it the RIIA, or Chatham House, which they're also known by, and I'll get into all of that. They are the parent group of Council on Foreign Relations. So we're going to look into them today because it's important that we know who these groups are. If you ever feel like things seem coordinated, things seem like they just come out of nowhere, and there's been no democratic vote or any kind of public say, it's by design. And this group is not a conspiracy, they're an actual group. And what they do is they influence world leaders, world governments, and they have set up an entire system of groups around the world to do their bidding. We're gonna get into all of that, but first, want to thank you for tuning in. I thank everybody for all the great emails that you're sending in. A lot of great questions, sending some things that you found here and there. And that's always fascinating to go through those. So we do appreciate that. And you can reach out to us at downtherh at protonmail.com. Downtherh at protonmail.com. I also want to thank our good buddies over there at fringeradionetwork.com. Fringeradionetwork.com. They're all over the place. You can go to their website, but they're on YouTube. They're everywhere. So thanks to them for carrying our program. So let's get into a little bit of history before we dive into just exactly who the RIIA are, how they got there, and what's their, what's their state of goal? What's their purpose? What are, what, what are they doing? Why do we need to know about it? Well, I think it's, all of it's important, but we have to start with some history. How did they get there? Well, in the, at the beginning of the century, there was a, in England, there was what was for, formed a round table, obviously taken from you know, the round table of the, of the great knights, the knights of the round table. And it was started by a guy named Cecil Rhodes. Now, I'm not going to deep dive on this show into Cecil Rhodes, although we will in the future because Cecil Rhodes was one of the early bloodline, part of the early bloodline families in England. And he was key in orchestrating England's takeover of South Africa. And so he has very deep roots and very, very influential. You've probably heard of the Rhodes Scholarship. Well, it was named after this guy. Well, I think he set it up, actually. And if you don't know what the Rhodes Scholarship is, it's basically where they seek out the younger generation of these, blo of these bloodlines because the royals and the, the elites are really, really into bloodlines. So they seek them out and they give them a scholarship to go to Oxford where they basically learn the, the agenda. 
Now, that has changed a bit in the more recent future, but if you go to a list, it's just Google it up, Famous Road Scholars. It's a, it's a list, it's a who's who's list of all the influential people. <laughs> Almost everybody in politics who are high, high up, famous scientists, it's on and on and on. So, Cecil Rhodes, he died. He's the one that set up the round table. And then he passed away in 1902 and his inner circle, they, they took over. They appointed, there's no need in going into the names. You wouldn't know who they are, but they are key because they had key people now at the, in England and they had key people over in the U S and during world war one, the key people from the U S and from England, all part of this round table, they essentially orchestrated the First World War. And if you don't learn this in school, but if you do any kind of his history deep dive, you will see that World War I was basically an orchestrated war by these people. And when the war was done, and, and this was a classic case of problem, reaction, solution. They created problems, and, and then the, the reaction was the war, and because the war was so devastating, everyone's begging for safety, begging for it to stop, begging for, you know, we'll do anything. Please just make this stop. And then they, they come trotting in with the solution. So when they were done, when the war was done, this same group got together and decided how the world would be redrawn as a result of the catastrophe that was the end of the war. I mean, everything was in shambles. And these same members were ap appointed to the Versailles Peace Conference. And if you've done, if you study history at all, you know what the Versailles Peace Conference was. It was the gathering of world leaders post-World War I to create a peace treaty so that it would never happen again. Well, these very same members from the round table in the U.S. and England were all appointed to and took part of this Versailles Peace Conference. While they were in Paris for this, they had a meeting at the Hotel Majestic in 1919. And this is where they started to create offshoot organizations. And these organizations were to carry out the central core of the, the round table their beliefs and their goal was basically to push their agenda into the 20th century so what did they create well one of the first things they created was the royal it, then it was the institute of international affairs uh, years later they they got their royal endorsement from i guess the queen or the king whoever from the royals <laughs> and that became the royal institute of international affairs and that started in 1920 in london since its inception they have branched out and they have the well in the u.s we talked about them i think last time the council on foreign relations so that is, it's a branch also the australian institute of internal affairs the south african institute of internal affairs the palestinian institute of internal affairs the Canadian International Council, and the list goes on. 
So they have their bases covered. That was the goal. You have the round table who are the head, the head group. And then you have the branch groups that they play strategically around the world. And they send out their agenda to these groups who have major influence over the governments in which they're operating, whether it be Canada, U.S., Australia, South Africa, on and on. It goes, they're in Japan. They're all over the place. Also having ties to this roundtable organization and offshoots of them, ones they've helped create, would be the United Nations, the Bilderberg Group, the Club of Rome, Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations, and, of course, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They all have specific territories in which they're to cover. Of course, the United Nations is global. The Bilderberg Group primarily operates within Europe and the U.S., although they do have influence around the world. Club of Rome is to handle their eugenics. I'll just say eugenics division. Enhanced eugenics is how they call it. Trilateral Commission operates within the U.S., Europe, and Japan, or the Asian countries. Council on Foreign Relations is specifically in America, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs is, of course, in the U.K. Well, what does all this mean? What, 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 is, what does that matter? Well, it matters because all these groups, and these are all, they all present themselves as think tanks and policymakers, but they do not operate within the, a government. They aren't run, they're not a government-run operation. Nobody votes these people in. They can't be voted out. And they're all privately funded. And the private funds come from you know, every group. It's like a who's who of major organizations. These are the same groups that fund the World Economic Forum. All these groups are all tied together. And they're all funded by the same groups. And most importantly, they don't care what you think they're here to control you and your thoughts me and my thoughts in fact the royal institute of international affairs has a an extremely close relationship in fact they even call it their propaganda wing with the tavistock institute and they rely heavily on them to propagate whatever it is they the ria riia thinks up and get it out there so that the public will consume it and like it and be on board with it. Now, there is a great book by Carol Quigley. It's titled Tragedy and Hope, The uh, History of the World in Our Time. Highly, highly recommend it. It's thick. <laughs> it takes a long time to read. It's, it's hard to read. Over, it takes time. I'll just, just put it that way. It takes a bit of time. But it's well worth it. Well worth it. In his book, he describes the round table, which eventually, of course, became the spawned off the Royal Institute of International Affairs. He says it was no less than the creation of a world system of financial control concentrated in private hands and capable of influence, influencing the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. The system will be completely feudally governed by the central banks of the world, acting in accordance with secret agreements concluded at frequent personal meetings and conferences. He knows a lot about them because he was the official historian <laughs> of the society. 
He also came up because he was sounding the alarm in this group. He, they, they began to frighten him. And you'll see that if you read the book. He came up with the Quigley formula. Simply put, the Quigley formula, how he saw this working and what he saw that they were doing is, he says, wherein a small clique creates a larger organization that they populate with like-minded collaborators from whom they keep the real aims and goals of the society. By this method, groups of hundreds or even thousands of people can be directed towards certain ends by a small group of conspirators. So simply put, you have the mother group and then you spawn off smaller groups, groups that you can control. You put like-minded people in there and you can control them and then they control a larger group of people through policies that they're making and so forth. So what are some of the stated goals of this group, the Royal Institute of International Affairs? Well, one is they, in, in one of their, in 1931, one of their leaders, Toynbee, gave a speech in Copenhagen, and he was quoted as saying, we are currently working with all who can make all the nation states of our world forget about the mysterious power called sovereignty, and we constantly deny what we really do. According to Nicholas Hager, who studied a lot of these groups, he believed that Toynbee was actually more American than British, and most of his funds came from overseas from the Rockefellers. And here's what, he, here's what uh, Nicholas Hager had to say. For 40 years, Toynbee was actively involved in the RIIA's effort to create a world government. In his writings, Toynbee argues that nation states are withering away and, we, and will be supplanted by the, quote, Rockefeller world government. Toynbee was also a prominent member of the Fabian Society. And he was uh, really, really close with Herbert Wells, Bertrand Russell, Bertrand Shaw, Julius and Aldous, Aldous Huxley. And, you know, we've talked about them. Aldous Huxley famous, is the famous author of Brave New World and was really very much into eugenics and, and very much. I mean, he, a lot of people say he wrote Brave New World as a warning against these tyrannical governments and or groups that he was involved with, but and then others say he wrote them as a blueprint. You have to read them and figure it out for yourself. But he that so anyway, that's who the, all these people are ha are hanging out with. Reading through speaking of books, reading through uh, another book, and this one was uh, by J Jim McGregor and Jerry Dougherty. The, bro the book is Prolonging the Agony, How the Anglo-American Establishment Deliberately Extended World War I. This is what they wrote. They, meaning the members of the Rhodes Secret Society, took the successful roundtable group and remodeled it into the Institute of International Affairs, smothered in words which, when de decoded, meant they would work together to determine the future direction of a fast-changing world. Lionel Curtis advocated that, quote, national policy ought to be shaped by a conception of the interest of society at large. By that, he meant the interest of the Anglo-American establishment. He talked of the settlements which had been made in Paris as a result of public opinion in various countries and spelled out the need to differentiate between right and wrong public opinion. With chilling certainty, he announced that right public opinion was mainly produced by a small number of people in real contact with the facts who had thought out the issues involved. He talked of the need to cultivate a public opinion in the various countries of the world and proposed the creation of a, quote, strictly limited, high-level think tank 
comprising the like-minded experts from the British and American delegations. A committee of selection dominated entirely by secret elite agents was organized to avoid a great mass of incompetent members. What quintessential British ruling class thinking was, was quintessential British ruling class thinking a new Anglo-American elite of approved membership was self-selected. So they self-perpetuate these groups. That's what they do. There's also, Carol Quigley also said that uh, this front organization called the Royal Institute of International Affairs has as its nucleus in each area the existing submerged roundtable group. In New York, it was known as the Council on Foreign Relations and was a front for J.P. Morgan and Company in association with a very small American roundtable group. If you know who David Icke is, he claims that the RIIA is extensively involved in coordinating the global drug trade. And I'm not even going to go into all of that, but there's a lot of claims that they secretly run the drug trades around the world. If you've looked into this group at all, they do have a website. It's Chatham, which is spelled C-H-A-T-H-A-M house.org. Chatham house.org, which they say... They claim that they put all of their material, whether it be written, it's their, their ideas, their policies, they have them all on their website and you can go on and you can read through them. And there, there are, well, you can spend forever on their, on all of their, it's much like the World Economic Forum. However, <laughs> however, there is a policy called the Chatham House Rule. And this is their rule. And here's the Chatham House Rule. When a meeting or part thereof is held under the Chatham House rule. Participants are free to use the information received, but neither the identity nor the affiliation of the speaker or speakers nor that of any other participant may be revealed. Much like the Bilderberg Group. Once the Bilderberg Group got outed, same thing with this this Chatham House group, the RIIA, they, this is how they skirt accountability. Oh, no, we're putting all our stuff on our website. It's all up there for anybody to read, anybody to see. However, we're not going to tell you who was there, who said it, and we don't even know what's going on actually behind the scenes, which, of course, is very common with, with these groups. All these. This isn't even really a secret society. They're out in the open. It's what they do in secret that is the problem. There's an article I read, and I, I thought this guy put it great. This is off the Corbett Report. In some ways, perhaps this is the greatest accomplishment to hide its enormous influence and its ongoing role in steering global geopolitics, not by hiding under a blanket of secrecy like the Bilderberg Group, Skull and Bones, or other secret societies, but by putting itself so much in the public spotlight that it seems mundane. It should be noted, after all, that this is precisely the way that Rhodes envisioned such an organization to function. And the continued existence and influence of that idea manifested mostly openly in the Chatham House, the CFR, and their brethren think tanks around the world. This might serve as the perfect example of how some of the world's biggest secrets are hidden in plain sight. And that's, that's where we get to the point of this. When you have groups that are funded by Chevron, AIG, Bloomberg, Toshiba, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Lockheed Martin, Royal Dutch Shell, Exxon, Mobil, and it goes on, the list goes on. It's all the usual suspects. It's all the usual suspects. 
and they are pouring money into these groups. And these groups are in charge of coming up with policy and ideas and then ways to influence everybody else as to how to get this done. That is the danger there. But how, how do these groups convince us that what they're concocting, these elites, is really good for us? Or that we should go along with the program or go along with the plan? Outside of what we're seeing brute force around the world these days over the COVID, where I think they've just upped the game because people are catching on to what's, what's happening, and there's revolts going on everywhere. Canada, for instance, is at a pretty much at a stalemate right now but all around the world there's big demonstrations because governments have just locked down and are forcing their will on people but that's not how these groups generally work what they do is they work through propaganda and if you haven't listened to our episode on edward bernays who's the basically the father of propaganda here, especially in the United States, but even around the, I'll just say the, the Western world, I highly recommend you go and listen to that episode. But let's do a little refresher because propaganda is the weapon of these groups and the RIIA is no exception. They want to get rid of nations. They want to get rid of, they want to globalize everything and they want you and I to be the subjects and they, the elites, rule the whole thing. And if you, if you really dive into Cecil Rhodes, who started this whole thing, that was his goal, was to expand the British Empire, not for the, not for the sake of the Brits. He was just using England as a weapon. It was for the elites. Thank God it didn't happen, but they did enough damage along the way that it's, rever- it's reshaped the world And we're still dealing with the fallout to this day. But his ideas live on. And propaganda is a big way that they do this. So let's, again, let's start with just the definition of propaganda. So according to the Graduate School of Political Management at George Washington University, they say since propaganda and public relations both share the same goal of using mass communication to influence public perception, it can be easy to conflate the two. And that's true. That's where we have to have the discernment to know how we're being swayed or how propaganda is being used on us. It goes on. Propaganda, however, traffics in lies, misinformation, inflammatory language, and other negative communications to achieve an objective related to a cause, goal, or political agenda. The Oxford English Dictionary says that it's the systematic dissemination of information in a biased or misleading way in order to promote a political cause or point of view. And according to Edward Bernays, he says those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental process and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind. And that's why the RIIA and all these other groups work so closely with the Tavistock Institute because that's all they do. That's all they do is study mass formation, 
mass psyops, how to convince the masses, how to get the message across. And they are, that's their, their whole mission is to basically sell whatever it is the elites are pushing. So how do they do that? Well, here are some techniques of propaganda. Fear. Fear is the most powerful emotion. Fear of loss or physical harm. Open the mind up to accepting solutions provided by the propagandists. And we've seen that on full display during the whole COVID thing. And it's waning a bit. People are tired of it. You can see the, the population turning, saying we're kind of done with this. And now the politicians are pivoting and saying, well, we, oh yeah, no, the science has changed or, um, you know, they're trying to stay in power and they see that the people are turning and the fear is no longer working. But for a, for a time, fear was the ruling factor. People would do anything, wear five masks, wear bubbles, not go see anybody, stay locked up, kill businesses, all of that in the name of fear. The other thing they use is what's called bandwagoning. This is a claim that is made because everyone else is doing it and you should do it too. Let's take the vaccine. Everyone's taking the shot because it's safe and it's effective. And so you should too because everybody's doing it, which is, in my opinion, why the school system is working so hard to dumb down everybody and to institutionalize everybody. Social pressure has become such a thing on social media and all over the place, shaming, canceling all these things why because you should be doing what everybody else is doing and once they convince everybody else to do it why aren't you involved as well what's wrong with you another uh, technique of propaganda that's being used by these groups called card stacking this technique highlights the good quote good information while leaving out the bad in other words only the facts that support the propagandist agenda are presented while everything else is intentionally left out. And we, we see this in the mainstream media all the time. It's, it's omission. It's lies by omission. We're not going to tell you the whole story. We're only going to tell you the part of the story that's beneficial to us. Only the part that we think is going to get our point across. or to, And it's very misleading. And if you don't know the whole story... It, that is a very that that technique is very hard to detect. The other one they use is what they call plain folks. The propagandist implies that he's just ah, he's just an ordinary guy like you with the same dreams and desires, and so therefore you should believe him. We see this with politicians all the time. Politicians who grew up with silver spoons in their mouth, super wealthy, went to elite colleges, never worked a day in their life, never owned a business, wrote a paycheck, got a paycheck from working hard. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just like you. I'm just a country boy. I'm just uh, I'm a hardworking person and I feel you. I feel your pain. I know what you're going through. They probably never grocery shopped in their life, never had to pinch pennies, never had to worry their car wouldn't start or they didn't have enough gas. They've lived an entirely different existence and they're trying to put themselves off to the public as an aw shucks kind of person. Another one is the testimonial. We hear this a lot. Using an unrelated person such as a celebrity to give testimony that the propaganda is true and that you can trust them as long as they're telling you that. 
So, and we see this, this has been used in advertising forever. Wait, wait. Oh, my favorite, my favorite sports star is drinking Gatorade or Coke or whatever. Then I've got to go do it. Wait, they're wearing what? They, they bought what kind of car? They're wearing what kind of clothes? Then, then I have to do it. Oh, they're telling me the vaccine is good and we should all go get it. Well, pfft. I mean, they're the experts, right? Because they sing a song. Also, they use glittering generalities. Sweeping statements that cannot be defined, often containing vague, quote, virtual words. Example, this program will create equity for all. And we will cre create millions of green jobs with this budget. And I'm reading this from a, an article. Those, those, those aren't my examples. But you hear this all the time. We're going to, it's going to do this, but you never, they never come back with the facts. They never show how it did it or if it did it or what these jobs are going to be. They never give you the facts. They just give these sweeping generalities. Another one is name calling or deflection. These are attacks and they basically deflect attention away from the propaganda and towards someone else. We see that a lot. I, mean, I could play clip after clip especially of politicians, being asked a question and not answering the question and going to something completely unrelated. Completely unrelated. If the, if the news media was doing their job, they'd refocus them, but most of the time they don't and they just let them blather on. Another one is called transfer. This technique carries over the authority, prestige, or acceptance of another group of or, or organization, thus transferring their, those characteristics over to the propagandist program. A program that you like, whether it be a news organization or a podcast, could be church, it could be anything. This group endorses that. Or that place says this is great. And that's how they do it. They buy them off or pressure them. And then they use them in their propaganda. There's also the either or fallacy. It's the black and white thinking. There's only two choices given, even though there might be other acceptable choices. For example, for instance, or example, lately it's been about science. You're either for science or against it. Like there's no other option. And science remains undefined. So they use these, these sort of get you kind of statements and it's very simplistic. So your mind immediately goes, well, yeah, I'm not against science. Uh, so I guess I'm for science. Well, if you're for science, then you have to do this because all the top scientists say to do this or that. It, that's, that's a trap. They also use the faulty cause and effects. This technique suggests that because A follows B, A must cause B. For example... Let's just say Joe supports gun ownership. Murderers often use guns to kill people. Therefore, Joe is a killer or a potential killer. So they do this sleight of hand in their progression. The, another trick is using euphemisms. This is, a, this is the use of a word or a phrase that pretends to communicate but doesn't. It often makes the bad seem good or the unpleasant seem attractive. For instance... You aren't poor. You are economically disadvantaged. <laughs> and this has become a mainstay in this is why I can't I cannot watch the news anymore. Because they have changed the language on everything. 
and they do stuff like this. What is economically disadvantaged? What does that mean? Well, that, that's a whole loaded thing. You know, they do that in, in many, many countries with they're not illegal aliens. They're not here illegally. They're undocumented you know, humans or undocumented workers or undocumented citizens. I've even heard that. It's like, no, you just change the wording. Speaking of, they also use loaded words related to name-calling. The propagandists will use extreme words to describe ordinary circumstances. This happens so much, and I can't stand it. For example, parents, and we've seen, we just saw this recently, parents who protest at school board meetings are now labeled domestic terrorists who commit, commit hate crimes. Those are extremely loaded words with actual meanings, but then you attribute them to something that is way less than that. But it triggers a reaction for most people because they are loaded words. They're magic words. Those are magic words like vaccine. We know for a fact that what they're pumping out there is not a vaccine. It's an experimental mRNA injection. They are not vaccines. They don't even say vaccines in most of their paperwork. Also, another technique they use is what's called scapegoat this technique uses guilt by association to assign blame to an unrelated person economic woes caused by current administration are blamed on the previous administration the ongoing pandemic is caused by the unvaccinated and so forth there's always somebody else to blame the buck never stops anywhere so you can always point over there that, that they're the problem that's the problem if it hadn't been for that, there wouldn't be this. Even, even a lot of times they're completely unrelated. But they'll use the scapegoat to get out from underneath being accountable. I heard Justin Trudeau do this the other day. When they were asking him if he was going to address the truckers and what does he think about it and is he going to make any changes. And he just he will, he refuses to answer and just goes off on uh, something completely unrelated or claims that, well, it's just their small fringe minority. We don't have to listen to them. And oh, by the way, you know, most of, most of Canada agrees with me and not them. These are all propagandist tricks. And then they, lastly, they use what they call logical disconnect. We'll use the World Economic Forum for this, where they, and we've talked about this many times, where they claim you're going to own nothing and be happy. And according to this article, it says, this says that happiness is the result of owning nothing, but this is totally illogical from experience. A corollary to this might be homeless people own nothing, therefore they must be happy. So you ha it's, it takes a thinking exercise to really identify what these groups are doing and how they're trying to push their agendas on us. Thankfully, it seems like a lot of people have waken up to this. And we've been talking about this for almost two years now. A lot of people seem to be have woken up. They're fighting back. They're exposing this. And that's fantastic. But it, we can't rest. We cannot. There's no laurels to be rested on because they are basically regrouping. This was, there's no doubt about it, and still is a big push that they're putting out there they've been outed a lot of people are seeing it but that doesn't mean they're going to stop 
So what do we do about this? Well, according to this article, and I thought this was great, I'm going to just read this off. All these techniques target our emotions, which in turn drive our behavior. Without our emotional, quote, support and compliance, the propagandist effort simply falls silently to the floor and die. Of course, the intelligent citizen does not want anyone to manipulate his emotions for goals that are not his own in the first place. Indeed, no one wants to be fooled, tricked, duped, deceived, used, or manipulated by someone else. And that is one of my major pet peeves in life. I have always, from a young child, hated, hated being manipulated. So according to this, there are two very clear anecdotes to stopping propaganda dead in its tracks. First, the propaganda must be objectively identified and seen for what it is. If you just go through that list that we just went through, you can start identifying this. And it, sh it's, it should make it much easier for you to notice when it happens. Second, considering what you see, you must exercise self-control over your emotions. Propaganda always demands your emotional involvement to achieve its ends. Do not fall into the propagandist trap. Lastly, when you finally claim victory over any element of propaganda, that is, you've identified it, refused emotionally invo emotional involvement with it, it is important to share your understanding and experience with others. And that's very true. And that takes us back to this Royal Institute of International Affairs with their Chatham House rule. All publications on the Royal Institution webpage refer to the Chatham House rule. And so they're like, hey, we're open. We're open about everything. We, we put it all up on there. However, it assumes that the participants in closed meetings have no right to disclose the authorship of those other opinions outside the small circle. Opinions can be published, but as impersonal. The rule is intended to encourage maximum openness and frankness in internal meetings. See how that's how they cloak. Well, we want to be transparent, but we're not going to tell you who wrote it. We, we want to be transparent. But we're not going to tell you who said it. Oh, we're completely transparent. We're just not going to give you any names. So you don't know who these people are. That's propaganda right there in itself. And I remember when I was a kid hearing on the radio, which was a major medium back then, because we just had radio and TV and, and TV was, there weren't a lot of public service announcements back then. It was mostly all commercials. But on the radio, you would hear ads from the Council on Foreign Relations, who obviously is run by the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And it was all about being a good citizen, working towards world peace, working towards you know, helping your fellow man. It was, it was all this propagandist stuff. And it, was, it would always end by and brought to you by the Council on Foreign Relations. And it was this really serious guy. And, but, and I've tried to find those, and I can't. I'm still looking. If you, anybody has recorded any of those, please send me the MP3 file. I would love to go through those again because I, I can't even remember what they said, but it it seemed creepy and weird and not right at the time. And, and I was just a kid. I haven't heard them for years, but they were there. And so they use publications. They use the media. They use the radio, they use any means necessary. And now it's all social media and so forth. And so people often ask me, well, why aren't you on Facebook or why aren't you on TikTok or why don't you have this and that? This, this is a big reason right here because that's all mass manipulation. 
from the top down and it's be, it's being exposed now and it has been exposed and they basically tell you well we don't care because it's a it's a private company and we're going to control the flow of info no matter it doesn't matter what you think what you say we're not charging you to be here so you can just you can go away if you don't like it and so i did i'm not on any social media besides the fact that it's super toxic on there with all the conversation and there's really nothing positive in my view it's the overlords that are running it and who's controlling them as to how you see information what they choose to release out there what they choose to promote what they choose to pump out to the masses to control think and you know somebody right now who is completely under the spell of mass propaganda they'll believe whatever the news says whatever said newspaper said whatever said program says that's why i always encourage everybody that's why i put all my source material in the links so that you can check it out for yourself and draw your own conclusion i'm just i just report what i find because i these topics fascinate me and so i deep dive into them and i report what i'm finding but i'm not telling you what to think i would never do that but that is what their goal is, is to make you think a certain way, to manipulate us as citizens to a way. And they use any hammer they can. The whole global climate thing, COVID, you name it, it's on and on. In fact, there's an article I read in the Brussels Times it's titled How to Sell an Epidemic. And it's about this guy, Belgian virologist Mark Van Ranst, who back in 2009 had a, put a video out and he was explaining how to use a pandemic for personal gain. People have found this and you can find it on YouTube. It's called uh, How to Sell a Pandemic. And it shows the whole speech and, and it's subtitled so you can understand it. And this speech was given at the Chatham House in London. And it was all about how to coordinate the media, how to get everybody to believe you. When he put this video out, he was specifically at that time talking about the swine flu or the H1N1 virus. But in, in there, he says his basic thing was you have to have one voice, one message. You have to be omnipresent for the first day or days. In order to attract the attention of the media, you make an agreement with them that you will tell them everything and if they, that if they call you, you will pick up the phone. He explained that by doing so, there will be maximum coverage and the media will not look for alternative voices. If you do that, it will be much easier to convey the message. <laughs> and we've seen this. If anybody has a differing opinion... Then what the overlords, whether it be Dr. Fauci or whether it be the news media or whether it be social media, you're banned. You're kicked off. You're not allowed to step out of line, have an individual thought or to question anything anymore. You are dismissed from society. And this guy started this in 2019. It's one of his central theses. The conference was the Center on Global Health Security, and it was given at the Ch uh, Chatham House in partnership with the European Scientific Group on Influenza. 
So that's the, the, the whole point of this is, yes, the Royal Institute of International Affairs is a very dangerous group. I su highly suggest you go further into them because we only have an hour and I can only give you just the bulletin points. But it's groups like this. I mean, look who they spawned off. I went through the list. They spawned off all the United Nations Bilderberg Group, Club of Rome, Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of Canada and South Africa, and on and on and on. And the RIIA is basically being parroted, puppeted by the round table, who we don't even know who's on that. And these are all groups who operate on behalf of themselves and pushing this globalization, pushing one world government, pushing you into a corner so that you have little and they have everything. And as the World Economic Forum states, you're going to like it. If we can just convince you that this is the best thing for you, don't buy it. Think for yourself. That is one of the things I really try to push the most on my midweek podcast upon you is that you have to do your research and you need to think for yourself. Know when you're being manipulated. Know who's doing it. Know why they're doing it. Get to the bottom of it. Expose it. Expose it with facts. Because they're playing on emotion. They're playing on fear. They're misdirecting all, all, the, all the usual tactics. And it's up to us when, when somebody, when you see somebody or you get into a discussion with somebody, just saying, well, that's propaganda doesn't cut it. You have to have the info to back it up. And if you don't have it yet, just say, well, that's interesting. I'm going to look into it and I'll get back to you and then come back with the facts. There, there's no shame in not having all the answers all the time. You can sometimes put it off. It happens to me all the time. We get, I get emails all the time. People ask, what do you think about this? I even haven't looked at it for a long time or I'm not aware of it. And so I say, I'll, I'm going to look into it and I'll get back to you. Or I look into it and then I get back to them. Either way. Speaking of getting a hold of me, you can get a hold of me at downtherh at protonmail.com. Downtherh at protonmail.com. I'd be curious your thoughts on this. Because these groups are out there and they're running amok. And, and we can't shut down these groups because you can't vote them out. You can't get rid of them. And they've been in operation since the beginning of time. There's, freedom is not the natural state of man, according to these people. People are cattle. They should be controlled. They, they're, they, waste, they take up space, they waste resources, they waste energy, there's way too many of them, and, and they're all the little people. They're all the small people. We're the elites, we're smart, we should have all of this stuff, and therefore we have to convince them that being lowly little cattle is actually a really good thing. That, that's, that's their general attitude. And so they set up these think tanks, and then the danger lies in the propaganda because they influence governments they influence lawmakers they influence leaders around the world bring them in to their idea their ideas their agenda whatever you want to call it in fact i just 
I saw a, a clip here. I'm going to play it for you. When you brought the Young Global Leaders Program here for executive education and the Schwab Fellows. But there are two countries in the world now in which the Young Global Leaders have emerged. Tell us just a bit about that in terms of the governance. Yes, um, actually, this um, notion to integrate young leaders uh, <coughs> is part of the World Economic Forum since many years. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names, like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin, and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation, like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, of uh, Argentina, and so on, is that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau, and I would know that half of this cabinet, or even more half of uh, half of this cabinet, are for our actually young global leaders of the world. Grateful. All right, I apologize. That that's not my computer doing. That's actually the recording that had the static in there. So sorry about that, but. That's Klaus Schwab from several years ago, uh, 2019, maybe even earlier. And he's, he's at Harvard. And he's given a speech and he's gloating about how they have captured these young global leaders like President of Argentina, Justin Trudeau. And in Canada, he claims that they have half of his cabinet, Trudeau and half his cabinet, are all logged on to the World Economic Forum's agenda. And he's probably, he's, this is great. And he, he talked about Merkel and Putin. So therein, that's, therein lies the danger. They capture these people. What kind of backroom deals they give them, I don't know, how much money or power or fame or whatever, whatever it is that they claim they're going to give them. They, these people, like Trudeau, like Putin, like Merkel, they sell their soul to these groups and then these groups influence them and then they have them. And then those people put down the agenda on to us. And we have to recognize this. We have to fight back against it. We have to say, nope, no, thank you. Not going to do it. I'm not going to be involved in it. Call it out when you see it. Have your facts available and ready. And I highly recommend that you look even deeper into the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Some of the characters that were involved, I don't have time to go through all of them. They, all of them state they're looking for a one-world government. I mean, that's, that's the goal of all these groups, but, this, uh, but the crazy thing is all these groups are interrelated. They're all taking marching orders from the same small group, and these are just kind of the second wave. These are like the generals in the army. And then it just spreads out. So I go back to my original st statement at the beginning. Does it sometimes seem like things on a global scale are coordinated? Like there is a common theme, a common agenda. Because we're all different people. I I've traveled all over the world. People in general have similarities, of course, but we all nations have distinct differences. If I go to Portugal, it's nothing like the United States. If I go to Ireland, it's nothing like Scotland or Spain. If I go to Morocco, it's 
Nothing like going to Canada. But yet we're seeing these coordinated ideas, these coordinated fears that are being put upon the people, all these coordinated responses to supposed tragedies or coming tragedies. It's all coordinated. And they are using manipulation in any and every form to get us to the point to where we just go, oh, please take care of it. Take care of yourself. And I, d I know things are opening up and places are supposedly dropping the, the mask mandates for those who are vaccinated. California, New York, if you're unvaccinated, still got to wear the mask. So it's st still two-tiered society. I know places are dropping these things. They're opening up. And that's great. I hope it stays that way. I'm all for it. But it makes me a little leery that they spent two years pumping a ton of money and being totalitarian leaders to just suddenly go, nah, we're okay and we're going back to normal. Watch out. Keep on guard. We, we cannot let our guards down. I think they're just retooling. And I, I said I think they're going to pivot. I did a show a while back where they're going to pivot and they're going to come right back with all these very similar, same things, lockdowns, can't drive your car, some business is going to have to shut down, but it's going to be for climate change. If you didn't hear that episode, go back. That I believe that's what they're gearing up for because they're going to claim that this is actually all really good for the planet. And they're going to start giving a lot of stats about how there was way less emissions and you know people weren't out as much. And we, we all survived and everything's great. So we should all continue this for Mother Nature because moving forward, we have to stop this big, bad boogeyman, which is climate change. And I definitely want to go down that road with you one of these days as well. All right. Well, Brandon and I will be back on Sunday and I believe we're going to talk about HARP, which is a fascinating topic. It's all about geoengineering and this HARP program. And there's a lot of mystery around it. And so we're going to deep dive into that to sort of piggyback on what we talked about last week with the chemtrails. <laughs> so I hope you learned something today. We learned more about propaganda. We learned about the Royal Institute of International Affairs. If you've never heard of them, now you have. And now you know what they do, what they, where they came from. And that should give you a place to start your own deep dive in them want to thank you so much for spending some time with me. We thank you all for listening. And again, you can email us at downtherh at protonmail.com. I'm Big D. We'll see you right back here on Sunday.